This is the show with Cannon Brown. I could be like a, a prime example of you can build something from scratch and, and make it work if you put the effort and, and, and time in. And there's so many people that have done it. And so don't be intimidated by, you know, all the success of other people. Learn what they did and, and put things together and, 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 you know, copy them or um, mirror them. But put your own little twist on it. Do you. And build something that you can be proud of, whether it's your career or your operation, you know, everything takes time, right? So it's not like you can wake up tomorrow and and raise a a world beater that's going to go win a a national show or wake up tomorrow with the best job. So it all takes time. So that last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? It's Halloween, October 31st. Um, Everybody's favorite time of year, unless you like to be scared, which I don't. I will personally not go to scary movies. I won't go to haunted houses. I won't go to a haunted maze, a corn maze. Come on. I'm not paying any money to be scared. I don't see any point in it. Uh, And I would rather spend my money on things that make me feel comfortable, like maybe going to a movie, um, buying some nice jeans, maybe. I would rather go into Buckle... I don't really go to Buckle, but I'd rather go into Buckle, have every single sales associate ask me if I'm doing all right and if I want anything, end up buying a $150 pair of jeans. I would never do this. Don't judge me, okay? But I would rather buy a $150 pair of jeans at Buckle while being harassed than go into a haunted house or go see a scary movie. Now, I have seen It. It was funny. Um, It, the movie, was funny. The kids are hilarious. I love that Stranger Things guy. I mean, who doesn't love that guy, right? Uh, he's so funny. Uh, but happy Halloween, guys. Uh, it's Spooktober, spooky season, as I like to call it. <laughs> Not really. I, I never call it that. But um, it's the end of my favorite month. That's for sure. Uh, and I'm not excited about it. One thing I am excited about, uh, remember how I told you guys I was going to go skydiving? Well, I am. Now, it got rescheduled. We're going on November 9th. So on Saturday, November 9th, keep me in your thoughts. I will keep you posted about this. I'm going to make sure you guys remember uh, whatever's going on in my life uh, just to keep keep some thoughts and prayers involved because I'm going to need them. I'm going to be jumping out of an airplane strapped to a guy uh, with a bag to get us down. So, I mean, if you think about it that way, I'm going to need some prayers. Uh, need to do some house now housekeeping things here. Uh, you probably noticed that I didn't have a callback this Monday, or you didn't. Either way, no, it, those of you that noticed I didn't have a callback this Monday, I'm sorry. Uh, I've decided not to do any more callbacks. I just didn't like him, guys. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I like referring back to the interview, but I just don't think that I need to be pushing out all that content to you guys. I still want to do Monday episodes. I'm coming up with some good ideas right now, and I'm going to do it very, very soon, okay? And you can hold me to it. I've got some really good ideas that I will be pushing out to you on Mondays. I just didn't want to be pushing out things that that I don't really care about. I mean, I like doing the callback episodes, but it was kind of getting a, a hassle uh, trying to find co-hosts and stuff like that. It was it was getting a little hard. So, And I'm, I don't like to shy away from hard things, but if I'm going to put something out there, 
Uh, I want to be proud of it. And I like the callbacks, but I think I can do better. And I think that's the way we sh- we all should live is to be better. So I think that's all that I have. Uh, I've got a great episode for you guys today, a great interview with my best friend, one of my best friends, if not my best friend, Tyler Pickenpaw. He is from Torrington, Wyoming. We went to Casper College together. He lives uh, inside or just right outside of Lincoln, Nebraska right now, uh, where he works at a feed mill, raises sheep, a uh, huge sheep guy, but he, he kind of was raised in a diversified farm, uh, which I love. I love it because that's how I was raised. I was raised a little bit diversified, uh, which is just a, just a good way to go. All right. If you can be diversified, just do it. Um, so he's great. Follow at the show pod. Subscribe, like, and share. Guys, add a comment on iTunes, please. I will li- I will shout you out, okay? Write a comment or something. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say it. I don't care what it is, okay? Write a comment. I want to see some activity here. Or send me something on Instagram. I will, I will literally give you a shout out if you send me a message on Instagram, Facebook, uh, or the Twitter when I make it. When I make it. I know I've been saying that for like a month and a half that I'm going to make a Twitter. But I am. I'm going to make one. All right? That's all I got for you in my intro. And I know, I don't even know if you guys listen. You might just skip through this part, but. That's all I have for you. Like, subscribe, share. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Let's do it. Mr. Tyler Pickenpaw. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Mr. Tyler Pickenpaw. <laughs> How the heck are you? Oh, just uh, living the dream. Living the dream. Where are you at right now? Uh, you know, I just got home from a, a long day of working. So. What'd you do? Well, woke up at 5.30 this morning and started shearing sheep, sheared a bunch of bread to use, and that went a little longer than it was supposed to, so things at the feed mill where I work got a little behind, and we were there a little longer than I was wanting to be, but that's all right, and got home and did chores and just finished a glass of chocolate milk, and (laughs) now I'm just sitting here. Sounds fun, dude. Why? So why are you why are you shearing sheep right before winter? Like right before they need all that. Yeah, no, it's it's sounds weird, right? Is that like the is is that what you're supposed to do, or are you supposed to shear them like right before summer? I'm honestly asking. So this year is the first year I've ever sheared this time of year, um, because last year uh, when we had you know used lambing and whatnot. Uh, they had been sheared in the springtime. Well, you get them all the way through January, February, March. They get pretty long wool and start to look scraggly. And they looked, and this year they just looked really rough. Um, wool was sloughing and that kind of stuff. Just didn't look good. So, you know, I sheared them again. A lot of uh, club lamb guys or just sheep people in general are shearing this time of year just so they look better. Um, you know, when people come and look at lambs, they look healthy. Uh, wool's, you know, not quite as long. And then as a, you know, as, when it comes to like lambing, you can actually see what's going on if they don't have three or four inches of wool on them, uh, compared to the, the probably inch and a half or two inches they'll have on them, uh, by that time. So makes it a little, little easier from that regard. Makes a lot of sense to me. I just always figured you'd just leave them long for the winter, but uh, I mean, they probably grow back pretty quick. I mean, the cold probably ramps up their wool growth a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. And they, they eat a lot more and helps them put on some condition, I think. But 
I was really nervous to do it just because I'd never done it before. You know, like the last thing I wanted to do was shear all these ewes and then they freeze to death. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, and, and it's about to change the temperature. I mean, the temperature's changing rapidly. You don't want to like just shear them one day and then the next day it gets below zero and they're just struck. <laughs> like, right. Right. That'd be a bad deal. Yeah. No, it was actually supposed to snow today. Uh, but thankfully it didn't and we had the place to put them up under you know shelter so yeah got got lucky (laughs) that makes a lot of sense though i mean for just producers to shear right before the time that they're gonna have people over to look at lambs and look at ewes i mean i i just always figured leave them long and then people can i mean they can look at them but you're not gonna see all of it right yeah that makes a lot of sense for me but i mean the work involved that you sent me a snapchat last night pretty late and it looked a little rough (laughs) <laughs> yeah getting there's always one there's always one sheep that just makes everything difficult and uh yeah we we had a heck of a time getting panels set up and use moved around um we're, we're we are way up or up way later than i, I wanted to be <laughs> well and moving livestock at night is never any fun no especially when you don't have many lights outside <laughs> did you have any help yeah. Yep. Um, you know, we're at the place where I keep the sheep out here in Lincoln, uh, the, the family that's letting me use their place, uh, their little boy, uh, he's, I guess he's 12. Um, he was helping me. So he, nice. he's pretty good, pretty good hand. Teaching him up then. Oh yeah. No, he, <laughs> I call him the boss. So. Yeah, I bet you do. I, I bet he's bossing you around that barn all the time. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you just said it, you're in Lincoln, Nebraska right now. Uh, but you're kind of a, a transfer, uh, a little implant into Lincoln. You're from Wyoming, uh, and I've had you on before. So people that haven't heard my callback episode with Colby Birch, this is Tyler Pickenpaw. Uh, he's one of my best friends in the entire world. We met at junior college uh, in Casper, Wyoming. Shout out Casper. Oh yeah, uh, shout out. <laughs> and um, He's just one of those these young producers coming up in the industry right now that has some stuff to say, and, and I'm glad that I can uh, give him a platform and that he can help me out with an interview. So thanks for being here, Tyler, uh, and thanks for taking time out of your day to sit down and talk with me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's the interview, so bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I throw you a softball question right off the bat. All right. Are you getting Disney Plus? I am getting Disney Plus. Are you? Have you like pre-ordered it? I haven't. I thought about it, but I'm just. I'm just gonna get it. You know, when it comes. Yeah. Out. What's the difference? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't need to like. Yeah. <laughs> what's that? Uh, no, I don't need to pre-order. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. Yeah. What is that a month? I don't even know what it is a month. It's like six dollars. Yeah, honestly, that's not bad. pretty good deal. Yeah. I spend way too much money on just like TV. <laughs> I mean, I get my I get my Netflix paid for, but uh, like my Amazon Prime, well, that's shipping too. But my Amazon Prime that gets me. That's all right though. You can't like you can't have too much of it. I, all of them have different stuff. I have Hulu, Netflix, and now if I get Disney Plus, it'll you got variety that way. Exactly, and I just saw a little promo uh, for the Disney Plus, and they're gonna have Up on Disney Plus. And that's one of my favorite movies ever that I like. Don't ever get to see. Have you ever seen that movie? I have. That's a great movie. Oh my gosh, Doug the dog, what a yeah. boy! Oh yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. but I'm I'm stoked for Disney Plus. I mean, Star Wars is gonna be sweet. Uh, oh all those, yeah. All the Marvel movies, all the Marvel TV shows that are about to drop. I know. It's gonna be it's gonna, sweet. 
it's gonna be nice to be able to like watch all that stuff and not watch the office and parks and rec and like i've been on a punisher kick lately been watching Mm. that but that's marvel you know so yeah i haven't even watched the second season of that yet yeah it's pretty good (laughs) i it gets a little violent i mean i like a little bit of violence in my tv show but that is just dark it is a little it's a little scary still pretty good (laughs) well tyler you're from wyoming and more specifically torrington wyoming and what a metropolis beautiful city that is (laughs) you guys are building a disneyland there soon aren't you oh yeah (laughs) pretty pretty sure it's it's big enough Yep, it's going up just on the south side of town. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you would like one of the first things I kn- I found out about you, Tyler, is that you love uh, Star Wars. Obviously, and we just talked about that a little bit. Yep, yep. And it just makes so much sense to me that a young kid growing up in a small town. I want to be clear: Torrington is not a metropolis. It's a very <laughs> small town. It's not surprising to me that you would just fall in love with like three-hour-long movies. And just watch watch six of them, one after another, right. because there's nothing to do in Torrington, Wyoming. Yep, yep. Is that right. pretty much how it went, or what? Yeah, pretty much. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, um, I like I like to nerd out. I really do. Yeah. Like any of that kind of stuff, I'm all about it. Marvel, um, Star Wars. Yeah, all about it. All about it. Now, how was uh, Torrington? You got you guys have the uh, the sugar beet mill there. Um, you've got Millers there with their feedlot and 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 their show show operation there. Yeah, how was it in living in that town? No, it was good. Um, you know, small like most small rural communities. Um, you know, Wyoming's kind of spread thin. Um, so you know, if you're gonna drive to another town, it's like an hour. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it was good. Um, you know, lots of ag people. Uh, I would say the county that I grew up in is, is probably like the most diversified county in Wyoming as far as being able to farm and raise livestock. Um, there's a lot of ranchers and then there's, there's a decent amount of, you know, corn ground, not like superior corn like the Midwest or anything. But for Wyoming, we can put up a lot of corn, a lot of beans in that area. Um, you know, like you said, not a whole lot to do. Um, did a lot of spotlighting and hunting coons uh every night and driving around going to mcdonald's believe it or not that was the hangout place in torrington wyoming mcdonald's yep and bomb guards (laughs) shooting coons spotlighting and then hanging out at mcdonald's you bet yep (laughs) no but i mean it, it had to be it's a just it's a quaint little place i mean it had to be just a good place to like know everybody know everybody in town and then just grow up. I mean, you said that you grew up with basically the same people from first to graduation, right? Oh yeah. Yep. My class was, I mean, pretty much the same. Um, there were a lot of new kids like in fourth and fifth grade, just cause Torrington got a prison. Um, but I mean, basically the whole way through, uh, same kids, uh, hanging out and, and, you know, same buddies, uh, from day one. So yeah. It, and that was nice. And then, you know, there's two other little schools uh, in our county, um, uh, quite a bit smaller, um, like 25 kids to a class. And we, we actually knew all those kids pretty well, too. So Didn't you guys join up for sports teams? So we didn't. Uh, Torrington oh. did not. Oh, well, I guess I take that back. Like soccer, um, all three schools made one team. Um, but we, as like football, basketball, those things, we were 
uh, 1A and then like the other two schools were B or C class. I can't remember, but yeah, they're quite a bit smaller. Now, one thing you just said about Wyoming that I think is wild, just to me for being from Arizona, but you just said it's very like thin. It's very spread out. And yeah. that, that was one thing like going to Wyoming that I had to get used to because in Phoenix, you've been there. I mean, everything you can go from, um, no one's going to know these cities, but people from Arizona will. Gilbert to Chandler to Mesa, you can get within all three of those cities, those huge cities, within 15 minutes. Yeah. If you go to Wyoming, the next city or town over is quite literally like an hour. I mean, I, I remember when we were living in Casper, Douglas was the nearest like big city and it was an hour away. Right. That's yep. wild. Oh, I know. It's crazy. And there's only like, like, think about when you like strip malls or malls there are in um, Phoenix, probably. Yeah. There's two malls in Wyoming, <laughs> the whole state. But we were, we went to college in one uh, with, with the mall. So we were, we were, uh, we were well deserved of that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Had a dick sporting goods. It did. So. And, and a pretzel maker. We were living a life. <laughs> and a target connected to it. That was yeah. awesome. Actually, that buffet in there was was pretty dang good. Are you? Yeah, well, you do you like um, like Chinese buffets? Oh, do I? Oh, they're fantastic. I mean, you they walk are. up to the counter, you pay twelve ninety nine, and you just get stuffed to the brim. But you always think you're going to eat more, right? And then you never do. Yeah, your your eyes get uh, too big for your stomach. Yeah, you're, and then at the end, you're like, was it worth the fifteen dollars to do this? And in the end, it is. It yeah, <laughs> the dessert I think puts it over the top for me. Oh yeah, yeah. No, one thing I like. This might be a little weird. Most people probably don't notice this, but one thing I've noticed about Chinese buffets is they always have chocolate pudding, and I love chocolate pudding. They, they always have that. Wow. I guess I never really thought of that. Yeah. But they always do. They do. I think it goes with their uh, like their little sugar bread deals whatever yes. those are called very very well <laughs> oh those are so great too or like the little like parfait things you just i mean you run a fork through them and they just split apart right oh yeah. they're incredible you're i'm gonna have to go get chinese after this i honestly think i'm going to after we <laughs> after we get off the phone i'm gonna have to like uh uber eat some uh pf changs do you guys have uber <laughs> eats in torrington yet not in torrington no <laughs> no <laughs> do you guys have uber Nope, I don't think oh so. Oh my gosh, you we need to might. be the first Uber know. in Torrington. You know how much money you'd make if you went back there for a summer? Yeah. I. You know what, though? The crowd, the late night crowd might be a little rough. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, in Torrington, Wyoming, they probably just don't care. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I'm going to walk home. It's like two miles. Yeah. <laughs> Grab the horse. <laughs> <laughs> Grab the horse. Yeah, I tied this horse up to the post. Uh, on the outside of this bar, I'm gonna ride her home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Has it, have you ever seen that happen in Torrington? People just you know, riding I've their seen, horses around. Yeah, yeah. There's been you know people drive or uh, ride up to the windows at the fast food places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to I I want to give a disclaimer to the listeners right now. Um, this is gonna be a lot of the conversation with Tyler and I. We're just gonna BS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna talk about like sheep and stuff like that we're gonna talk about pigs and cattle too if we get a little wild but um we're gonna go on these tangents sometimes so if you don't like it i'm sorry <laughs> it's entertaining it's entertaining i think so i think it's fun 
you get you get a little taste of everything that way. <laughs> yeah, it's like a uh, uh, what's the cosmopolitan ice cream, right? A little bit of everything. Yep, yep. So, and that's kind of like how you are actually. The great transition. You <laughs> kind of grew up as like a cosmopolitan cosmopolitan livestock kid. I mean, you grew up, uh, and your family had a registered Hereford um, uh, herd, right? Yeah, when I was uh real little, um, you know, probably. So when I was born, probably through, I think it was like age seven or eight, um, my grandpa and my dad had a, a real nice set of Hereford cows um, that they ran together. And uh, I had a couple um, that they had, had given me and, and I'd built up by that time. Um, but yeah, we had well, I had some Hereford cows. And then um, over time, we, we got back into the cows there um, for a little while and did some of that stuff again. But yeah, I've dabbled with cattle all my life everyone calls me a sheep kid but i've probably spent more time around cows than anything else so <laughs> and aren't herefords your favorite breed they are you know herefords are my favorite breed they always like have a you know that soft place in my heart or soft spot in my heart but uh I, i've really come to like charlet cattle too you just like the odd ones oh yeah you no know, you don't like the mainstream no i ain't about that angus life why do you like uh, Charlay's now? Um, you know, honestly, I think it comes from judging. Uh, just going to like some of the, the breeders that maybe have a few Charlay cows around or like there's some breeders in Kansas that, that raise a lot of bulls and sell a lot of bulls. And we would go down there and work out. And I just think like second to a Hereford bull, a Charlay bull is probably the next coolest thing to look at. So <laughs> that I mean, everyone has their different opinions. I think that's I think that's just fine. I, I've only. I mean, like a good Charlay, like heifer or something like that. I'll look at a picture on Facebook. If one scrolls my way, I'll stop and I'll look at it for a couple seconds. I mean, you, oh you, yeah, you, those are the type of breeds like Hereford uh, and Charlay. And I mean, when Kyle Veggie was on Galvies, even like when those come across your timeline, and it's they're really good, they'll make you like stop. Right. And yeah. Just because, like, oh, what's that color and how does it look that good? Yep. Yep. And that's the other, like when we had all those commercial cows, um, when we were going to school at Casper and everything like that, we were kind of leasing out. Those were all Gelby balancer stuff. Yep. So yeah, I don't like the whole mainstream thing, you know, <laughs> plus I think it's okay. Plus down the road, I think it would just be so cool to have like 300 head of white dorpers and 50 head of just awesome Charlet cows. Wouldn't that be sweet? <laughs> I think that'd be a cool looking like pasture picture. Oh yeah, white sand. Yeah, just have you got to have a cut like all your good um, uh, white faced Dorper ewes. Like you got to have like ten really good white faced Dorper ewes and ten really good Charlet heifers or cows in your front in the front yard. Oh yeah. That way, when people drive by, they're like, "Oh, this this is an outfit right here." Yes, <laughs> that's the plan. That's the plan. Yeah. Oh this. This is a boy right here. We're going to have to buy some stuff from him. <laughs> I've yeah. actually got a buddy down here. My roommate, uh, Joseph, his family uh, raises Dorpers. Oh, really? Yeah. They He said he's got a good buck, too. I was like, hey, my buddy want, might, might want to buy one, talking about you. He yep. said, no, nope, not going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> actually, I didn't even ask him. <laughs> <laughs> but he actually did come up to me, and, and Joseph was like, yeah, we got a really good one at home. We'll see what he does. I don't know. Yeah, he didn't no, take any pictures. We'll see. Yeah. You have to send those my way if you come across them. Well, I'll ask him when he gets home tonight. I'll be like, hey, what do you what do you think? 
Because <laughs> I know you're always looking for dorpers. Anybody out there listening right now, if you've got dorpers, Tyler's going to buy them. Oh, yeah. I love dorpers. <laughs> They've got a soft spot in your heart. I mean, they're the misfits for sure. Oh, yeah. No, they're awesome. Where do, they, them. where do they come from? South Africa? And Australia. Yeah. And Australia. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Hide like like the desert sheep, uh, hair sheep. Yep. Oh, yeah. They're kind of making they're, a comeback right now. Well, they're pretty new to the, you know, fun fact for you. They're really new to the United States, you know, relative to most breeds. Um, and like, I think when they first got over here, people were pretty skeptical um, because they're a hair sheep and you got all these stubborn sheep producers that want to put, you know, wool up every year. Um, so they're like, no, we don't want a hair sheep. But <clears throat> I think people are catching on to how awesome these things are. I mean, I, I'm pretty biased. Like I'm, I'm real biased actually, but I've like told people like, this is the best breed of livestock hands down across all species. Now, why, why do you think that is just because of their, like their efficiency or what? Yeah. Their efficiency, they're, they're so low maintenance, you know, easy doing easy fleshing. I've never seen a skinny one. Um, they're sound, you know, big bodied. Um, you can make them pretty good looking if you try to breed them, you know, hard. And, and then I think just the, the low maintenance, you know, low input deal is just, there's so much value there and they're awesome mothers, awesome mothers. And they have like 185% lamb. And they have a bunch of lambs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when we were looking at, uh, those sheep that you eventually ended up buying, the guy was like, yeah, it's 185% lamb crop. And we were just like, what? Yeah. Um, and that's like with death loss yeah. after death loss, like, that's pretty good. <laughs> well, and their meat quality, I mean, they're a meat breed, so their meat quality is just exceptional, and they grow so fast. Yeah, no, they they grow fast, and they do eat really good. We did, like, a little experiment where we uh, we harvested one of my sister's show, show lambs, and then we put up a, a dorper in the freezer, too, and, like, ate them side by side, and, oh, the dorper was so much better. So I'm, much better. I'm looking at the uh, uh, dorper sheep. Uh, American Dorper Sheep Breeders Association or Society website yep. right now. Yep. And it says the society was organized in 1995. I don't know when they came over, but that's when the society was, was built. Yeah, they're pretty new. I think like, I think, don't quote me on this, um, but I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that they came over in the 80s. That would make you sense know, though. A large majority of them. That anyway. would make sense. Yeah. yeah I remember... There was something, there was like a rumor like four or five years ago uh, that there were some guys in Texas that were like, we're not going to stop showing until we can win a major with a Dorper sheep. And I thought, oh, that, yeah. I thought that was awesome. Oh, I think so too. I that would Oh, that would be so cool. <laughs> you, should, you ought to raise one to win a major. Hey, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it's so be, easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest with you though, like, the first you I will probably end up fleshing is going to be a Dorper. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We got one that we like quite a bit. We'll probably end up flushing her this next year. So now in terms of like flushing, where do you, where do you look at it on paper and say, okay, this is, this is worth it because it's not, a, it's not inexpensive. I mean, it's not cheap. Right. How yeah. do you, how do you kind of pencil it out? Um, I, I guess like, 
Well, I've never done it before, right? So I, I'm going off of what guys have told me because I've asked a lot of questions mm-hmm. um, about it. And and initially, I look at the the cost of it, and I'm like, geez, I don't know. If I got a buck standing around, I might as well just use the buck, um, and, and you know, just do it that way. Because by the time I think, you know, I've I've heard numbers as far as like it takes two grand to get one set up and flushed and resips put together and all that, you know. So it probably pays off if you get a, a decent output on lambs or if you're in, you know, good embryos um, and they stick, but there's a lot of risk there and it's, it's pretty expensive. I don't know. I I'd have to put some more thought into it. Um, you know, but I just, I'd like to try it on a couple use that we have. And if we can make it work, then I think, you know, we'll sure try that. But I'll tell you one thing, as soon as it doesn't work, then I probably won't do it again for a while. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a um, trial and trial and error every single time. I mean, it's just like raising sheep uh, the usual way. Even if you put a buck in there, it might they might not stick. So, right. I, I wouldn't say just give up on the first, first time it doesn't work. I mean, it, it might be two grand down the drain, but in the next one, you might make, 10 grand yeah that's true yeah so, it's hit and miss know. i'm sure that's what a lot of guys say anyways so well that's just how the industry is <laughs> yeah that's how anything with livestock is really <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be hit and miss for sure yep but you, you kind of grew up at at first a cattle kid and then you didn't even go to sheep yet and then you, you kind of fell in love with hogs right in that middle stage oh yeah yeah the the, the middle stage. That middle stage, you kind of, you were like, <laughs> yeah, I like this hog deal. Oh, man. I can remember, so I got like the seed stock magazine and Purple Circle and all that stuff. I would drag those magazines to school in like third and fourth grade, and I'd be like, guys, you got to check this out. Like all my friends, like got everyone hooked on reading these pig magazines and like looking at show hogs and, oh, that's all I thought about. Like I, I like have a book somewhere of like, farrowing barns show pig barns all this stuff i loved it yeah like a a dream journal kind of oh yeah (laughs) yeah i my uh because my first year in 4-h um it's funny i can't believe i'm gonna admit this to where people can actually hear me say this but um my dad's like let's get you going in 4-h so um at the time you know we had the cows all at grandpa's place we lived in torrenton he lived in in western nebraska about 45 minutes from us or 30 minutes from us. And, uh, he, he goes, well, let's get you in 4-H. What, what do you want to show? And I said, I'm going to show rabbits. <laughs> That's what I want to show rabbits. I had this little playhouse. I'm like, I'm going to gut that thing. This is an eight year old me talking, gut that thing, put cages on the walls. We're going to breed them. We're going to have all these rabbits. It's going to be awesome. My dad's like, no, no way. <laughs> You're showing pigs. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to so, tell you right now. Did you listen to uh, Travis's episode? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. They, they, he said he was making some pretty decent money on rabbits, or his dad was. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And, I, you know, I've kind of I've seen some guys that have been doing that. And if you have the market for it, it's a pretty good deal. Or it looks like a good deal. Yeah, so. maybe for an eight-year-old, it, it probably wasn't the best decision. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and my dad was pretty out on the idea so <laughs> well I, i'm glad he was because then you ended up actually getting some hogs yeah yeah he uh it's a funny story he uh my dad and, he, and he's helped us you know over the years but um uh, i'm kind of proud of the fact that he's made us you know work and pay for our feed and that kind of thing um 
pretty much, you know, most of the way through me and my sisters. Um, but, uh, that our first year he gave my two sisters and I each $75. He took us to a, a commercial hog outfit north of Scotts Bluff, Nebraska. We went up to the guy. My dad said, we need three pigs. He brought us three random, you know, PIC York Chester deals, stubby little tails, frail boned, ugly, fat, brought them out. Yep. Load, loaded them up and we took them home and dad gave us 25 bucks each for feed. And that's, that's what we started with. Basically everything I've got now has come off that $75. He came from me. Cause you know, we are lucky enough to have a junior livestock sale, turn that $75 pig and a, you know, hundred, couple hundred bucks worth of feed and supplies into about 1500 bucks at the County fair. So yeah, that's, it was a good deal and got pretty into it showed for oh, all the way through 4-H and FFA showed pigs. Well, and it's that's what's so great about the junior livestock auctions is because it we always talk about this this off this showing off showing deal gives kids an opportunity to raise something and sell it and make a profit. But nowadays it, it's really hard to make a profit. I mean, even if you go low low scale if you're just buying a hog off slats it's going to be hard to make a profit right yeah but you kind of got into it right in the transition to where or i i would say we got into it right in the transition where like when we were growing up you could still get a really cheap hog go to the county fair no one really cared if you wanted or not they were just there to support the youth yeah yep and that was awesome i mean it just gives you such a momentum to just be like oh my gosh i made eight, like 900 bucks what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen this this I always got a check, but I never seen this amount of numbers on a piece of paper before yeah. in my life. <laughs> right. It's a it, it's so a, many Star Wars toys with that. Dude, honestly, <laughs> I mean I remember my mom had to hide the check from me at, at most times cuz I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do with. I didn't have a bank account, but I just wanted to stare at it. Yeah. No, it it's a pretty good deal. I'm it was fun to, to, you know, grow it like that. And, you know, each year you make a little more money and, and you can go buy a little bit better hogs or you used to be able to anyways. And um, I still think you can, I still think you can do that. I mean, there's still some breeders out there that'll work with you and, and help you out if, if you're loyal. Yeah. You know, and it's probably, you know, especially in the hog deal, really, that's probably the thing that's got the most flexibility. Like there's so many hogs everywhere that you can you could probably find a good deal and and still be really competitive and make money on it so yeah i'm telling you what if you if you look in the northwest right now if you're looking for hogs anybody listening if you look in the northwest you will find some actually pretty good hogs at a reasonable price because i mean they're just they're they have a market up there but i mean they're not super competitive but there are some families up there that are raising really good hogs in Oregon and Washington and Idaho. Yep. Yep. I mean, we went to school with a couple other people. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, but. it, it's, uh, I mean, it's still pretty, there, there's chances and opportunities out there in it for sure. Yeah. But when, when do you actually become a sheep kid? Because we know you now as uh, Tyler pick and paw, the sheep kid. I mean, is <laughs> when you came to junior college, you were associated with sheep, right? So yep. when did that, change happen so um i want to say i was probably it would have been and i don't even know probably i was probably 10 or 11 and uh 
I got the idea, my grandma and I got the idea that we should get some bottle lambs because my, my family, I, I should say this first, my dad raised club lambs and he was a kid. My grandpa, my grandma had sheep around forever. Um, and then, uh, you know, our, our family ranch in Douglas, Wyoming, they ran like 6,000 ewes. So it, sheep was in our blood, um, and, uh, you know, to put it that way. Uh, so when I was probably 10 or 11, my grandma, uh, we got the idea. She took me to go get three bottle lambs, uh, from this feedlot. And these people were kind enough to just give me these three bottle lambs and they were all used and I raised them up. And the next year, uh, I took them back and, uh, I bred them to one of their South down bucks that they had, uh, around. And I, I didn't pay for that either. I actually made some leather pillows that I traded for a breeding fee. You, you a just bargainer. Oh, yeah. You, you're just bartering all over. Oh, absolutely. Got to. Have to do it that way. Honestly, you really do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, bred those and, and got some lambs on the ground and then bought some more bottle lambs and raised those up. And that kind of started my commercial sheep flock. And then I think uh, a few years after that, I was probably 14. I got a loan um, at the bank for, I think, two thousand dollars and came across a deal to buy 30 head of uh bread white face used for 50 bucks a piece they're all broken mouth age deals um got two more lamb crops out of those ewes actually and then kind of just kept working on the commercial sheep deal only reason i ever got into the show sheep deal is my sister um she didn't want to show pigs anymore uh, because i was getting so carried away with it she wanted to do something different so she talked my dad into taking her to her neighbors. Um, they were raising some show sheep. And she goes over and she wants to buy some. And I went along just for fun. And we were standing there looking at them. And I'm like, Dad, I kind of want to buy one of these. <laughs> so I bought a show lamb. And that made my sister mad. But we, we did pretty good um, our first year, you know, top five or whatever at county fair. Felt good about it. So we did it again um, and kept doing it for a couple years. And then she ended up just focusing on her horse projects and maybe getting into some goats, uh, both my sisters. And then <clears throat> I kind of took the club lamb deal too. So now that's, uh, I, we're going to take it back a little bit, but you're, you're a big fan of South downs, right? Yeah. I like South down sheep. That's kind of, that, that's one of those things, you know, another soft place, uh, in my heart for them. They, they, that's like the first breed that I, kind of started with because those those ewes or those bottle lambs i got were like white face feedlot sheep but i i kept breeding them back to south down bucks yeah so i got a little south down influence in there now talk about a breed that's changed over the years gosh that south down breed has been changing so crazy in the last like five or six years yeah it's it's really popular and it's i think it's so cool too um on how like where you are kind of depends on the style of South down you're going to get. Yeah. Um, because like down South, those things are thick and, and meaty. And then you get up here up North and like a South down traditionally is not a big breed. You know, they're short, stocky little sheep and meat, a meat breed. But now we got them up here where they're big framed and pretty looking. And that, yeah, up it's, North, it's they're amazing. changing them quite a bit. Oh yeah. It's amazing. I mean, down south they still kind of resemble the old South Down kind of short, stubby, and and stout, right? Uh, but up north they're changing them to where they're they're becoming one of those tall, like elegant breeds. Yep, it's pretty yep. sweet. Yeah, it is. 
I think it's awesome that you went out at like 14 years old and just got like a $2,000 loan. I wish I kind of wish I would have done that or my parents would have helped me doing that just to like build some credit when I was that young. Yeah. And yeah, it just that, shows yeah. you the importance of like banks. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you want to know something funny? What's that? I actually got a loan before that even. I think what? I was I was nine years old or I was probably 10, I guess. And uh, I kept bugging my dad for a go kart so bad. <laughs> And he's like, if you want one, go get the money to buy it. So I'm like, well, I don't have any money. He's like, well, we can go get a loan. So he took me to the bank. I got a loan for a thousand bucks and went to the auction. I ended up buying a four wheeler actually. But that was my first loan. Bought a four wheeler at like 10 years old. See, I'm just going to say that wouldn't have flown in Gilbert, Arizona. (laughs) (laughs) A nine year old going in with their dad to like a Wells Fargo or a Chase Bank trying to get money to buy a go kart. They're not. They're probably not going to let that happen. But in yeah. Torrington, Wyoming, when you when you go on Main Street and the only there's only one bank that you go to, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, when do you kind of start? Uh, so you start showing sheep. You start being yep. really really competitive and start raising them, and and you're kind of getting in, getting into the logistics of raising sheep for show. Yep. Is that when you kind of start judging livestock too? It does it kind of coincide? Oh man, that's kind of a, it's kind of a, <laughs> kind of two different deals. Cause like, I, I guess I should put it this way. Like I was competitive with showing sheep. Like I wanted to do very, very good. And I would put everything I had into the sheep and the sheep I had to show and the people I worked with, they always gave me really nice kind of sound, you know, heavy muscled sheep that maybe they weren't going to go out and win the deal, but I would always have a class winner or a second in class. And, and I felt good about that with the, you know, for me and and the money that I put into them, I was like you said, I'm a, a bargainer. So I never went out and bought expensive show stock. <clears throat> Always did it on a deal. Um, so that's kind of how I approached it, and and that's the way I would say I was competitive with it. Um, so I collegiately judging. That's when my eyes opened up on how big this deal really is because being from Torrington, Wyoming, it's not like there's big time, you know, sheep producers everywhere uh, right in that area. There's a lot of good sheep producers there, but there's not like the guys that have online sales that are huge, especially when I was growing up. Um, you know, there, there wasn't that around. So when we started judging at Casper and going out and working out at places, that's when I opened, like opened my eyes to how big this deal really is. Um, even though, you know, I had a good idea of through judging an FFA, what good ones looked like and how I wanted to make them. I just, I, I didn't have a whole grasp on the industry quite yet. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we, we kind of, we grew up in the first kind of generation where there were, was online sales when we were like 10 or 11. That's yeah. when they, that's when they first started coming up was like 2007, 2008, something like that. Yep. Yep. I mean, and that changed the industry forever. So I, I mean, it's not, it's not wrong of you to kind of be blind to what's outside of Torrington, Wyoming. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But you still enjoyed it and you had a, you had a great team in high school. Uh, You guys um, won your state contest. You guys went to national convention and won national convention that year uh, with PD Miller, your teammate. Didn't he win first overall and you were like second or third? So, yeah, yep. Um, I was actually, um, it was PD, um, was, was first high individual at nationals. And then, uh, 
it would have been Skyler, his brother, who's now playing football at the University of Wyoming. He was uh, third, and then I ended up being seventh that day. Um, but we were all like – and then Michaela McNamee, our other teammate, um, she was top 25. We we uh, we had a pretty good day. That you was pretty fun. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, we it was, it was really cool how that team fell together and um, – a really cool experience. I wasn't even going to judge livestock in FFA. I was going to judge horses and do agronomy. And then Mr. Groney said, no, you need to, you need to judge livestock <laughs> and, and kind of forced me to go to a contest and then got hooked with it. And, you know, having, you know, PD was younger than me, so he wasn't in high school yet when I had started. Um, and I'd done a little judging through 4-H, but nothing to where, you know, I really knew all about it yet. Um, so the other teammates I had in front of, or, you know, the older teammates that I had, those guys got me kind of going and, and Mr. Groney really coached me up and I put everything I had into that. I would practice, you know, every morning driving to school, stay after school, you know, every night for three hours. Uh, our, our FFA chapter, very blessed. Um, you know, there's not a lot of schools that don't have this opportunity, but our, our ag advisor was top notch. We would start practicing February 1st for our state contest, which was in uh, April. We would start practicing on a regular basis every night for three hours, February 1st, all the way through state contest. And I only missed one practice all four years of high school. Wow. That's what it takes though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's honestly what it takes. Yep. Yep. And I, we're going to talk about Grony in a minute. We're going to talk about your FFA program because I think that he needs his own special shout out on this. Uh, but I wanted to say really quick, when I first met you and heard that we were going to be competing against each other, we were going to be on a team together, you had just gone to convention and won it. I was very jealous because that was my only goal. My only goal in FFA was to win the state contest in Arizona for judging and then go on a national convention and, and hopefully compete competitively. But <laughs> now looking back, I did not work hard enough to do that because <laughs> listening to how you guys practiced, we did not do that. And I think it comes with, um, and this is not a shot at any of my ag teachers, but it just comes with having a dedicated ag teacher that is very passionate about a certain uh, competition, a certain uh, contest. And, right. and Mr. Groney, as you said, was very involved in livestock judging. I mean, he, he judged in uh, JUCO and senior college, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you have that background that, that's just kind of pulling you in saying, no, Tyler, don't go over to agronomy and horse judging. Think of how different your life would have been right now if you oh, wouldn't yeah. have switched it. Yep. You know, and I actually still did all those things, but if I wouldn't have done livestock judging, I, man, I mean, I honestly credit livestock judging with everything that I've done to this point, um, you know, as far as breeding sheep and meeting all these people and, and the connections I've made, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am without livestock judging and my, and, you know, Mr. Groney pushing me to judge livestock, my dad, my grandpa pushing me to judge livestock and supporting me through that. Um, you know, my parent, my mother and, and those guys being really supportive of it and, you know, letting me put in all that work. A lot of kids go to, you know, basketball or track or whatever practice. And I was given reasons every night. And then, you know, talk about like my teammates. I knew that the, you know, I've known the Miller boys my whole life. I knew how good those guys were. 
and I do not like being beat at all. I can't stand it. So when I knew those guys were coming up and, you know, spots on the team were, you know, there's only four spots. I was not about to lose my spot. So (laughs) heck no, dude, that is not, that is not in your mindset to, to lose a spot on a judging team or lose a spot on any team. You're very competitive. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just in my nature, you know, that's how you have to be though. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you talk about like when we met at Casper and like the first time I saw you and like heard you talk, I'm like, oh, this kid's probably good. And you were, and I'm like, okay, now I got to work harder, you know? And that's, and (laughs) you've heard me say it before, but that's how I felt about you. And honestly, that's, I, I believe that that's, those are the good relationships where you guys can push off of each other. And then, uh, I mean, this isn't every relationship, but for our friendship, we definitely pushed off of each other at the beginning and then realized, wait, like we're pretty similar and we kind of like to hang out. Let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yep. like we're going to be on the same team for two years and actually we kind of get along. So let's not hate each other for, yep, yeah. for us being very competitive. <laughs> Let, let's put our uh, strengths together here. <laughs> well, that's hard because I mean, you're very competitive and I'm very competitive. And, uh, when you get, and our whole team was actually really competitive, but when you get that many people that are super competitive, it's hard for people to mesh and for people to get along. And that it it comes to the coaches to, to kind of facilitate it. Yep. And I think our coaches did a great job. Oh yeah, absolutely. Kind of facilitating that relationship. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about junior college. Let's talk about Casper now. My favorite part. All right. Yeah. Uh, you didn't really like have your eyes set on anything else. You, you kind of, you didn't really even plan to, uh, judge in junior college, right? No. So, um, you know, in Wyoming we have, or most, like most states, yeah, you're like junior colleges have little contests that they put on and like our FFA chapter, we would travel to every practice contest and have go to the judging camps that Burkitt and Johnson would put on. So I went to one and I ended up being, um, I think it was like my freshman year or the summer of my freshman year of high school. I was like third at the contest and they give like Burkett just throws scholarships out everywhere. So they give me like a thousand dollar scholarship to go to Casper and judge livestock just for being third at that little judging contest. Well, then like I had amounted by the time I'd been through all these contests multiple times, I'd had like all these scholarship opportunities come my way to go there and keep in mind that Again, kind of boxed in Torrance and Wyoming. I did not know what JUCO judging was. <laughs> so when Burkett approached me and was like, hey, come judge livestock for us. And I was doing an FFA. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> didn't think twice. And I, I wouldn't change it at all. I'm just, I didn't know that there were other schools out there and um, didn't, you know, didn't really think about it to, to, to do that at. So I just ran with the opportunity and got my school paid for and, and showed up at Casper in the fall of 2014. Well, I like how we all went into junior college thinking that we knew what it was all about. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's how everybody goes into junior college when they're judging is just like, yeah, we know what's going to happen. We're we're the hot shit. We, we don't let, oh, do yes. listen to anybody. <laughs> do you <And> remember? <laughs> do you remember that first contest we went to where Burkett was like telling us like, oh, you two are going to be fine. You'll be fine. And then he ends up screaming at us, yep. telling us to sit down at that contest at Flint Hills. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, that we talked about that. Um, Kyle and I talked about that on his interview, that Flint Hills contest. 
our freshman year just messed us up, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even think I ran that day uh, because it was like the first contest or something like that. Yeah. It was, I mean, I had dropped over 100 points. That's for sure. Oh, I think I did too. Pretty easily. Every one of the sophomores was having a bad day. That's how I knew I was good, though, was because like everyone was upset, not yeah. just the freshmen. Yeah. <laughs> and then yep. Tanner Jensen goes up and he like basically wins the contest as a freshman. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was so upset. No, yeah. but so you end up going to Casper. Uh, we meet each other. It's divine intervention, obviously. Obviously. What What did you think of the experience? I know what you thought of the experience, but for everyone that doesn't know you, how was Casper for you? You know, at first when I was there, I, I was a, it was a little rough for me because I'm not like the most social person or I didn't used to be. So like making friends was hard, right? No, I <laughs> um, it was for you, dude. Yeah, it was. You've got you've got RBF for a yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so it was it was challenging. Um, but like looking back, dude, I, I miss it and I would go back and do it again and I, I got you know, met all you know, you, Josh, Ty, people that I talk to every week and you know, friends that I'll have for a lifetime. I, I wouldn't change it. And you know, our team, we struggled and we probably weren't as successful as we wanted to be, but it was still a blast to, to travel up and down the road with those guys. And yeah, I, I wouldn't change it at all. It yeah. was still pretty fun. So it was just, it, you know, at first it was, it was hard for me to, I, I'm not good at like just starting conversation with people or, or didn't used to be, I'm pretty, I'm better at it now, but it, it was hard for me to adjust to that. And yeah. It, I think that's but, why we got along was cause I just did all the talking. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> I think I forced you into friendship, honestly. You probably like, did. I was just like, no. I'm going to talk to this guy until he talks me back. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. or, or something, I asked you to help me on a set of reasons or something. I'm like, hey, would you, would you tell me what you said on this. <laughs> just being nonchalant. Like, yeah. I don't care, but like, would you place these? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but after Casper, you've always been a Husker fan. Yep. You've always loved the University of Nebraska. That's one thing that I've known about you. That's one thing that anybody that knows you it, and it's been to your house knows that you're a Nebraska fan. <laughs> yep. So it, was, it yep. was a pretty clear uh, track for you to go to UNL. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I never, you know, when we were at Casper, there were times where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go to senior college. I kind of want to go home and, and help dad and um, be with the cows and the sheep and do some haying and all that. So there were times where I wasn't sure I was going to do it. And then, you know, there were some schools that after JUCO, you know, judging got over with that, um, had reached out to me and, you know, between, you know, South Dakota, CSU, UW and UNL and, and a couple other schools. I, I went out and looked and, uh, you know, it was really hard to tell Caleb Boardman no, uh, cause I like Caleb a lot, but brad bennett at unl um i went on a visit there and he showed me around and i loved it the campus was beautiful um unl is really cool because like the whole ag campus is completely separate from the city campus you still have to go over there and take classes every once in a while but it's, it's like clear across town uh so you're surrounded by kids that all have the same interest as you you're you know um 
going to hang out with these guys all the time. And then just the building, like if you ever get a chance to go in the UNL animal science building, it is pretty dang sweet. Oh, like, it's all, And it's huge. Yeah. It's ginormous. And there's everything in it. Like the meats, the repro, um, like the animal science stuff. That's an all arena. in one building. What's that? They've got like a full arena. Yeah. Huge arena. It's, it's, it's really a pretty cool building. Yep. And you, what'd you get your bachelor's in? Uh, just uh, animal science with a you know kind of focus in production. Nice. Yep. But after that, you you get your bachelor's, and then uh, Brad's like, "Well, do you want to stay in assistant coach? That is that kind of how it went, or?" Yeah. So uh, I, you know, got done judging, and and surprisingly, you know, at the time, like when we were getting ready to go to Louisville, I'm like, I, I can't wait to be done. I was always had the sheep on my mind and wanted to go home and do that. And like, I can't wait to be done. And then <clears throat> like walking out of my last set of reasons, like I couldn't even get through my last set of reasons without choking up. It was really weird. I did not expect that. And, uh, it was a set of Hereford bulls. So I'm like, Oh my gosh, this oh, it brings I'm you good. back to the Herefords. Yeah. Oh, yep. Yep. Favorite set. Um, and I like, got a little teary eyed and like choked up and the gal just smiled at me and said, Nope, you're good. And, uh, I walked out and like, it was a, a, that hallway, you know, in Louisville is really long. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to miss this. And, but from the time Louisville was over to Christmas break, uh, I was like really missing being in the van and traveling with everyone. And, uh, Brad caught me one day in the comms and said, Hey, you want to go to Denver with us? And I said, yeah, that, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> so, end up going to Denver with them. And then, uh, I, we got back and I was helping Brad get some sheep ready for a contest. And he, uh, he said, you know, thanks for doing that. Um, I owe you a big time. And I'm like, no, you don't owe me. Just take me to a Texas contest. Cause I love the Texas contest. <laughs> and he said, how about you just come the rest of the year with us? And then he asked me to stick around in the fall. So I ended up being able to assistant coach um, at UNL for a year. And that was a pretty cool experience. Now, what did you get on that set of reasons where you choked up? Because there, be there had to be some pity points in there. I think you deserved a 45. Yeah, probably was. Probably was. <laughs> but you got but a 48. I did get a 48. Nice, dude. That's not too shabby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you Now, did you like assistant coaching or actually judging more? Um. I like, I like assistant coaching more, I think. Not as much stress. That, and, and I like I like being able to walk through things with people and telling people how I see things. Because um, I'm very analytical when it comes to uh, evaluating livestock. I, 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 don't, I don't trust, like, you know, I, you talk to um, uh, Miss Austin on her interview, Talk to and she's dang good. I listened to her give a set of reasons at Exarbon, by the way. Yeah, lights out good. Yeah, she's incredible. Oh yeah, lights out good. That was my high set. Um, but anyways, shout out Adrian. Yeah, and <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we uh, I, I lost where I was going with that. <laughs> that set of that set of reasons is really good. Um, no. I, th I think that, you know, my approach to judging livestock is like, I think about things as like, well, I'll look at one and be like, that one's tight spined. Well, why is it tight spined? Oh, it's straight shouldered. Why is it straight shouldered? And then I put all those things together. And that's how I talk about stuff in reasons format. And when I'm describing livestock, 
And, and I like to just approach it that way. And I like to, to walk people through that process. Cause, um, you know, a lot of people are coached to like go on first impressions or stick to basics. And even though that's probably simpler in the long run, um, I like to, to break stuff down and, and understand why every little thing works the way that it does. And well, I was, and that I was only helps like, you out in reasons again, like I told Adrian, like that, or like Adrian, and I talked about, if you can describe them like that, and if you can see them like that, it only helps you out in the room. Right. Yep. Yep. It does. It, uh, it, it makes a, a big difference for sure. And, uh, I think, you know, keeping it simple, to the point where your terminology isn't out there crazy. Um, but talking about it and breaking down those pieces in that way is, is what leads to success in the reasons room for anyone. Now, uh, are you just sitting back missing both of them now, now that you're not assistant coaching or judging? <laughs> oh, dude, I miss it all the time. <laughs> I bet you're missing it a bunch, dude. Yep, I miss it all the time. Judging at UNL was really fun. We had a pretty good team. Um, yeah. It was pretty fun, so... I mean, I yep. miss it a bunch, and I I stopped after junior college. Oh yeah, it's just one of those things that sticks with you, and you you know you wish you could do it. Um, and, and I don't even know if it's like going through a contest again, but just like to get in the van with everyone, the van, one more dude. Time it's it's not even somewhere. it's not even the contest; it's the camaraderie. It's just like right. hanging out in the van with ten to fifteen people that you have spent every single day with for the past three hundred and sixty-five days, or. 670 days yeah oh, it's yep. incredible it's pretty cool now you're a after college after assistant coaching uh you work at a feed mill now making feed how's that it's good yeah it's uh it's really good so i am the facility manager at uh cooper specialty feeds i'll give them a shout out shout out um uh kind of a new and upcoming um feed um, I guess production place or facility place in, in Union, Nebraska, just outside of Lincoln. Um, my boss, Rob Cooper, he's a, a nutritionist, feedlot nutritionist. So he travels around and is nutritionist for a lot of big corporate feed yards and whatnot. Um, but he decided to put together this feed mill because he wanted to make a show feed that does it all. Where you don't have to do mess with as many supplements and that kind of thing. And I'm not just saying this because I worked there. I tried the feed before I worked there, and that stuff is really, really good. And then when they talked to me about working there, and I saw that they were looking for someone to, to be down there full time, I applied because I thought it was a pretty cool opportunity. Um, so yeah, I spend my day making feed, selling feed, um, you know, delivering feed. It's it's pretty fun. That had to help your like social anxiety a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, it's funny actually that you say that. Because like going through UNL, be, some something about like a senior college, just like a bigger atmosphere, kind of forced you to do it too. Forced me yeah. to do it too. So like coming out of UNL, I, I felt like really good with how to communicate and talk with people. You know, it's funny I could talk to anyone, random stranger in a reasons room, someone I don't know about livestock, but hard for me to walk up and start a conversation with someone. So at UNL, I got really good at that and practiced it. And yeah, I, I liked the. Uh, it's kind of cool um, coming out here to this community and building a relationship with people, you know, not from my hometown and, you know, being the guy that they call saying, hey, we need a ton of feed tomorrow morning. Can we get, you know, it's 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 neat. It's been a cool experience. And it kind of helps you out with your other business, which is 
pick and paw livestock. You're raising sheep. Uh, you're raising show sheep. So that kind of helps you out. You're not trying to build a customer base, but those are people that can definitely help you out in the future or to potentially buy sheep from you. Right. Name recognition is what yes, it is. Just gets my name out in front of more people. And, you know, the, and the thing too about working for a, a feed store or dealer, I guess, is I have the flexibility to do kind of both jobs at once, if you will. Like I can represent the feed company and talk to people about feed when I go to shows and then I get to go to shows and that kind of thing. So it works out really well. It, it's a really good deal. Yeah, it, it's uh, two birds with one stone, right? Exactly. That's basically yep. it. Yep, that's right. Now, in terms of raising sheep, uh, and you know this, you knew this question was coming, but and Colby and I talked about this a little bit about the about the market being saturated in terms of the sheep industry, and just in terms of like the livestock raising uh, part of the industry, it's a little saturated right now, and yep. especially for a new guy coming up, um, trying to make a name for himself. What are, what are your strategies that you're using right now on a daily basis or monthly yearly basis to get your name out there and to, and to get people to see that, Hey, I'm, I'm the real deal. I want to help you and your family with whatever you need. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and I think like, I guess we'll just start, started a random thing when he comes to that question. Um, you know, it was Colby actually that talked to me about the importance of social media and using that in your operation. So, you know, I was talking to Colby and he's like, if you're going to deliver a sheep somewhere and it's way out of the way, post that, let people know you're willing to do that. If you're just looking at the use on a nice, you know, Friday evening, Post that and let people know you're out there at the barn. People like to see you involved in your operation or your friend or, you know, your family involved in the operation. So we try to do that. And it hasn't, you know, been we haven't been up to speed on that yet um, as far as consistency. But we've done that times and it's fun to get that interaction or, you know, get people saying, hey, we're excited to see lambs or we're excited to, to come look next year. or Those look great or, you know, can't wait to see you at the next show. It's fun to have that kind of connection through it all. Um, so I'd say, you know, social media, especially when it comes to being a new guy or just getting your name out there, recognition, that's probably number one most important thing um, as far as marketing, right? Uh, especially in a saturated Well, yeah, industry. it has to be. Social media plays such a huge part in everybody's life now that, it, I mean, you have to incorporate it in your business aspect or you're just not going to thrive. Yeah, that, I wouldn't even have Facebook if it wasn't for the fact that that's a great platform to advertise sheep. Oh, uh, yeah. Free <laughs> livestock, like, there would be no point to have it for me other than that. But And that's, like, if you look at my, if you go check out my Facebook page, literally all sheep. Like, I feel bad for the friends I have that don't like sheep, but <laughs> that's what it is. You know, that's what I use it for. Well, so. that's how it was for a little while for me, too. You would just tag me and stuff, and I'd be like, yeah, add it to my timeline. And now I'm oh, a, yeah. now I'm a hog kid that just has sheep on my timeline because of you. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. If there's anything going on, tag. You're one of my go. You're usually like, if it's not just me and Wade or me and Josh, like you're in there for sure. You and Jonah just about every time. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I feel Jonah. like I'm just bugging people <laughs> when I tag them. Yeah. But. I mean, I 
you can bug people, but it, it is a way to get your name out there. Cause I mean, if you tag them, then you get on their timeline and their friend see and ugh. yeah, it's it, all it, so boring. <laughs> it works though. It makes a difference. Now, in terms of the sheep deal, what is your goal just to make a living raising and selling sheep? Yeah. So I think, you know, long term, that would be, that's the goal to be able to just do it full time. Um, and I think in order to get there, you know, I, I have struggled with this in the past and I've gotten a lot better, but you can't be sentimental about these kind of things. Um, because you know, all oh, that use related to that you that's did this five years ago, like that doesn't matter. I think that being able to coal hard is, and something that I've really worked on and, and probably took it to an extreme the last two years, um, is what I think is going to take us there. Coal hard, be selective, um, you know, be progressive in your mating decisions, uh, but also for us, it's it's using what we have and and being able to maybe save some money and go purchase some new genetics and, and breeding those to, you know, it's all a guess, uh, really. But I like the saying, um, you know, genetic or uh, how's it go? It's uh, phenotypic consistency creates genetic predictability. Mm. And uh, I think that that's uh, the the kind of outlook that we're or uh, approach that we're using uh building these use so hopefully long term we can do this full time or i can at least do it full time and, and just raise sheep every day because uh i really enjoy it so have you ever thought about just like trading sheep um you know i have uh thought about it and i actually did a little bit of that this year uh just because i didn't have enough of my own sheep um to move around and i don't i don't like it near as much I don't. I'd it's rather just it's not yours. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather it just be something that you know comes from my name, and regardless of you know if it's gonna be a world beater or not, uh, I'd rather it just be attached to my name, and and the people know that I'm gonna be there, and uh, regardless, and and help them all the way through. So that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. Oh now, yeah. Now, in terms of the the sheep industry, and this is where we get into kind of more specialty deals the the difference between breeds is pretty exponential i mean compared to other species we talked about cattle breeds being different pig breeds aren't very different uh in terms of like a just an overall whole now production and show side yeah definitely but as a whole the sheep industry the breeds are pretty different from each other right so how do you do you do does a sheep producer just have to stick to one breed or, or can it be can it be profitable or can it be manageable to have a whole bunch of different breeds? Um, so I think when you break that out, the big difference for this industry is that, you know, most like the cattle and the hog industries, there's like, you know, a commercial sector. And then there's like the purebred show stuff, right? Where exactly. for, and those, those two things kind of coincide where with the sheep, there's it's almost three sectors because you have commercial sheep and then you have club lambs or clubbies and then you have breeding sheep which are like purebred breeding sheep right um like the frame sheep or a south down or a cordell or suffolk or those kind of breeds so i think it you don't see a lot of 
crossover between like frame sheep and guys that raise club lambs just because there's such a difference there. And I think a lot of guys put, you know, primarily, you know, one focus on another thing. Now, something I have noticed is that there's a lot of these club lamb guys that are using more terminal breeds, like a Southdown, for instance, that we talked about earlier. Like think of all the club lamb places that have their club use. And then they have a group of Southdown sheep on the side that they're also making clubby type Southdowns with, but it's still, you know, a registered breed and they can still paper those things almost. And, and like the Hampshire breed as well. Yeah. Um, and the sheep, but like, uh, I can think of multiple places like SRV, Kobe Birch, Nathan Hawes, like all those guys have South Downs on the side. Um, and there's other places like Forzy South Downs in Kentucky. Um, we've worked out there. They've now got Dorpers and they're using South Downs and Dorpers, two different registered breeds. So I think it just depends on where you're at. I don't notice a whole lot of crossover between like, like I said, a, a club lamb sheep with a, a Suffolk, traditional Suffolk breeder or a traditional Shrop or Oxford breeder, just because those breeds are so, so different. I think you're more likely to to get a guy that's got terminal breeds that inter, you know interchange there. Or you'd be like a couple guys have the club lambs and then Dorpers, which we're trying to make club sheep out of, just keep them hair, right? Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. Thing, so. Now, in terms of region, in terms of like place in the country, how does that differ? How, how do the breeds differ? Or how do you try to like market different towards the regions? So like, I, I think uh, um, kind of broad scope, like the Midwest and the northern part of the United States, there's a lot more breed sheep up there, like registered breed sheep where you get down into Texas and they're more market oriented. I think there's a lot more club lamb producers down there or like hair sheep producers uh, and com commercial producers. But I think in the Midwest uh, and up north, those guys, that's where all your big kind of breed sheep operations come from. Uh, obviously, there's guys spread out everywhere. But as a majority, I'd say that's the two regions. And I think it's really different with how you market these things, because as far as like shows, uh, we'll just stick with club lambs. Like everyone shows at different times of the years, like Texas is going to get ready to roll into their majors here in the next month or, you know, couple months. And they're going to be showing sheep while everyone up here is lambing out used to raise sheep to show in August and September. Um, so something that we've tried to do, I guess, tie it back to our operation is have something for everyone to hit all those different markets because I, um, you know, we go to Texas a lot. It's pretty fun to sell sheep in Texas. Like if you can find a little niche down there or an ag teacher or get into a sale, gosh, dang, that, that is a gold mine down there. Those guys spend so much money on sheep and they're able to move so many sheep because all those majors and big shows that they have, it's pretty fun to, to market sheep down there. And if you can get a good set put together, uh, you're in good shape. I would say that up here, it's probably a little more challenging because you have all these breeders um, that are, are trying to hit, you know, big state fairs like Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. So when you have all those big breeders that are selling 60 head of lambs on their online sales, and then you got little guys like us trying to sell Adler Barn, um, you know, it, it can be challenging to market against that. Plus, I don't, have you like, if you look at these online sales, like 
we're selling sheep at like 30, 45 days old. Yeah. Holy cow. What the heck? I would yeah. have never, I, <laughs> like, I would have never thought that you would be able to do that growing up. And we got guys that are getting them in shape pronto and, and moving those things or getting them sold at 45 days old. They're not even weaned yet. Now, what do you think of that? Do you think that that's a good idea? Can you can you project a sheep out at 45 days old? <laughs> I think that I think that you can in some places, but you know, stuff changes um, just like any other breed. But I think that baby sheep, you can probably get a good guess at what their advantages are going to be at least um, at 45, 60 days old. Um, and, and you got a good idea what you're going to have with now problems, I think arise come towards when you get into heavier weights and whatnot, and things show up that you didn't necessarily think were going to be there, but that's just like with anything else. Yeah. Um, but like I, I, buying a, a sheep versus a calf, I think there's more predictability in a, in a sheep. Okay. Well, you said Texas is a gold mine. So, uh, I just wanted to give you this little stat. Texas is my number one listen to state. So Nice. Anybody listening in Texas that wants some sheep, check out my buddy Tyler Pickenpaw at Pickenpaw Livestock. And if you need help spelling it, I'm going to spell it on the podcast. So don't worry about it. <laughs> now, didn't you have like a, or don't you have a relative that was a Peckinpaw that was like a, a professional ball player? Yeah. Uh, so was that true or just, yeah. just uh, yeah. blowing smoke? No, that's true. Uh, you've seen the cards. You've seen the I, cards. I, he, don't worry, folks. He's got baseball cards to prove it. I do. Um, yeah, Roger Peckinpah. It was a, a relative. You know how, like, back in the day, you'd have, like, brothers that got mad at each other, and they'd change one letter of their last name so it didn't look like they were associated anymore? Yeah. You've heard stories of that? Like, that's what happened in our family way back when. Um, so, yeah, we were, I'm related to this Roger Peckinpah, played for the Washington Senators. Mm. So that's before the, the, Nationals, the Nationals who are playing tonight, Game 7, which I am got on the TV. Who's winning uh, right now? Houston's up 2-0. to zero. Let's just say Astros win. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually rooting for the Nationals. Honestly, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not against the Astros. I just I always go for the National League team. So. And well, you got to go for National League team, obviously, and then you got to go for the underdog. Right. That's kind of yeah. how it is. That's how we all fell in love with Golden State. That's how we fell in love with the Astros was because they were underdogs at first and then they just turned into powerhouses and we hate them. Yeah. <laughs> That's just yeah. the evolution of sports. It is. It's very true. <laughs> Thankfully, I can love my team for eternity because they're terrible. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, the Rock. Well,. <laughs> You and me both, brother. We're in the same. <laughs> we're in the same division, Diamondbacks and Rockies. We're going to be forever behind the Dodgers. Yep, yep. I really thought one of our teams had a chance this year at beating the Dodgers in the division, like early in the season. Yeah, I, I, did I too. really thought. I did too. We're getting like way off topic here, but I was thrilled when the Dodgers missed the World Series oh or gosh. winning the World Series yet again. It was incredible. Highlighted the year. I love it. Oh, I love when they get beat. Oh, it's... it's Can't stand that team. <laughs> it's so awesome when they get beat. It just makes you feel so good inside. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tyler, that's kind of all I had for you planned out. 
Um, as you know, you're a, you're an avid listener. Uh, I like to give this uh, part for you to give any special wisdom or advice to anybody listening. Uh, so without further ado, this is Mr. Tyler Pickenpaw and his infinite wisdom. Go go ahead, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, wisdom. No. Um, <laughs> These are not yeah, the droids you were looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I just uh, I think you know that. I'm I'm excited to listen to this podcast tomorrow uh, when it comes out, um, or, or you know whenever you put it out because it's going to be uh, kind of all over the place. We covered a lot of topics, but I just, especially like younger kids listening, I think uh, I could be like a a prime example of you can build something from scratch and and make it work if you put the effort and and, and time in. And there's so many people that have done it, and so don't be intimidated by you know, all the success of other people, learn what they did and, and put things together and, 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 you know, copy them or um, mirror them, but put your own little twist on it. Do you and build something that you can be proud of, whether it's your career or your operation, you know, everything takes time, right? So it's not like you can wake up tomorrow and, and raise a, a world beater that's going to go win a, a national show or wake up tomorrow with the best job. So it all takes time. So like if you just put the hours in the the work, the dedication are willing to get up early, stay up late. Um, it, it certainly puts you on the path to success. So I think you're right. And I think that's an excellent thing to say. And you are a definite prime example of, Hey, I, I mean, you weren't born with a golden spoon in your mouth. I mean, you, you were born like your dad said, Shannon said, Tyler, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna raise these. <laughs> I couldn't do it. for the folks listening that thinks it's very weird that he did that. Tyler's dad has the deepest voice I have ever heard in my entire life, and I always like I always like to impersonate it. Now, Tyler, you gotta go out there and you gotta feed your sheep. All right. <laughs> The Shannon Pickenpaw. I'm sorry. I don't think Shannon listens. I don't think he's technologically uh, sound to listen to the podcast. Is he? I don't think so. He probably no. <laughs> he does have a, a smartphone though. You ought to you ought to make him subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at uh, the show pod. Mm. I'll, I'll I'll get him to do it. You know he has listened. Uh, we we were driving one time and and I showed him the uh, Jake Scott episode. And he was like, this is so canon. Nice. <laughs> nice. That's a good episode to listen to, too. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Well, Tyler, uh, like I said at the beginning of this, I really appreciate you taking your time. And you don't have any choice, obviously, um, when I ask you to do things like this. So I appreciate right. you doing this. Everyone, like, I, there's a bunch of people at National Convention right now that hopefully are on their way home, uh, on the flight home, can listen to this and, and get some inspiration. Yeah, hopefully, or learn some random things. <laughs> and learn some random things about uh, what what was your what was Peckinpah's name? Oh uh, yeah, Roger Peckinpah. Roger Peckinpah, you he's, bet. He's actually the reason that the MVP is selected after the World Series because he committed like twenty errors in the World Series. So that's pretty. But cool. But he got the MVP. <laughs> yeah, he was selected as MVP before the World Series, and then had all those errors cost them the world series so that's why they do the mvp selection after that is some american history right there folks you listen bet. in here 
<laughs> All right, Tyler, I appreciate it. And uh, obviously, we're going to talk soon. I'm going to have you on again. So don't don't worry about uh, me kicking you off just yet. Oh, yeah. No, anytime. Anytime. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Time's limited, so you must listen carefully. As you can see, uh, like I said before, Tyler's one of my best friends. We get along so well. So we, we got on a little bit of a, some tangents and stuff like that. But I think it makes it more fun. Uh, and still, when it comes to ag stuff and sheep stuff, he's still top-notch, and, and he still knows what the heck he's talking about. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, for this Monday, I don't know if I'm going to have anything released, honestly. Uh, I have an idea, but I want to perfect it before I actually get it done. Uh, but it's it involves some multimedia and involves some heavy-duty uh, work by me, some background info that I need to uh, get down pretty soon. So... I will have some Monday episodes for you guys soon. Uh, I just don't know when. It's going to be in the next two weeks. Okay, I, I will put a stamp on it right now that within the next two weeks, I will have more Monday episodes for you that are going to be so incredible that you're going to want to subscribe just for those. I mean, the interviews are great too, but the Monday episodes are going to be awesome. All right? So that's all I got for you this week. Like, subscribe, share at the show pod, Facebook, Instagram. I will make the Twitter soon. And I love you guys. Thanks for being so supportive uh, and thanks for reaching out to me. I really appreciate it. And I love you. Bye.